Welcome to the Realized Gains Podcast, a guide to real estate investing. Join our co-hosts, Jordan Lee and Stephen Tran, as we interview a diverse group of real estate investors, both amateur and professional. Our goal is to help you understand that anyone can invest in real estate. Tune in to hear creative strategies and learn from both our mistakes and our successes. You can find us where you love to listen to podcasts, on YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com. Back in about 2018 was when I realized that there was a gap in the market here in Australia for good marshmallows. Growing up in a uh, entrepreneurial family, my mindset was always opportunities. How do I look for opportunity? Mm. So that's mm. how my mind is wired. And so then I just thought, uh, I, I should just make my own marshmallow. I'll just Google YouTube and see, you know, see what's out there. So for my son's first birthday, so I made raspberry marshmallow using like real raspberry puree and it was delicious and the guests loved it. And then that light bulb moment went <laughs> off in my head and I'm just like, oh my goodness, the ingredient cost is really low. It was sustainable as in durable with the marshmallow, long shelf life. There's mm -hmm. no baking. The biggest thing was I, I was like, you know what? I think this is scalable. Can you reproduce this in a mass production environment? Hey guys, welcome to the Realized Gains podcast. I'm Stephen Tran. I'm a multifamily investor and short-term rental investor, and I'm also a realtor in the state of Oregon and Washington. And I'm your co-host, Jordan Lee. I'm a mortgage lender based in Portland, Oregon, and I'm licensed in about eight other states. And uh, I also invest in single-family homes as well. Today, we have a super special guest room for you. Uh, she's a, actually a former a client of mine that is um, based in Australia now. And so she started with a... $50,000 uh, cash out refinance, which she turned into a $1.5 million business. Yeah. And it's, you know, she has a great story. Cambodian refugee family started a donut shop mm -hmm. uh, you in know, LA. Yeah. yeah. Started their own business. And, you know, eventually she started her own business, which is pretty amazing. A great story of, um, you know, basically coming from rags to riches. Yeah. Cloud Theory Marshmallow. Check it out. It's in all the Costco's in Australia and hopefully it'll be soon be in the Costco's in here in the U.S. Hey guys, welcome to episode 52 of the Realized Gains podcast. I'm Stephen Tran. And I'm your co-host Jordan Lee here. And we're super excited to do our first virtual um, podcast. We have May Pike on, on the uh, computer here, actually. She's joining us from Australia. And uh, it's it's really fun. So May, do you want to just like give your give your background a little bit and talk about your story, kind of how you got started, and then eventually how you got into real estate, and and then and then business. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So um, my name is May Pike, and I now live in Australia. And what I've done here is I've started a brand called Cloud Theory, which is a gourmet marshmallow brand. And what happened was, uh, so I met my husband back in 2012, originally from Los, I'm originally from Los Angeles, met my husband who's Australian. Wait, wait a second. I thought there was more of a story to that. I thought, I thought even before that, there was like an immigrant story. Oh yeah, for sure. So going way, way back. Yeah. Um, my parents immigrated from uh, Cambodia. They were refugees 
uh, uh, basically escaped the war in Cambodia during the Khmer mm -hmm. Rouge yep. uh, regime. And I was born in a refugee camp in Thailand. In Thailand, okay. And, yep. And we then, um, uh, we actually, back in Thailand, uh, my parents had an option. They were sponsored to both Australia and the U.S. Oh, okay. So, so they, had a, they had a choice. They had a choice. We had family living here in Adelaide. Uh -huh. And we had family living in Utah who both sponsored us. And my dad decided, uh, let's go to the U.S. It's a larger country. What did he do? He flipped a coin or is he like, was he like, there's more opportunity there? Or what? <laughs> yeah, I guess he weighed up his options and just thought, you know what? The U.S. is a bigger country. Uh, we'll, we'll take our chance there. And okay. so we ended up in Utah of all places. Wow. So you could imagine a... Uh, coming from a subtropical country like Cambodia, <laughs> landing in the middle of America, in Utah, in winter. Oh, They've never boy. experienced snow before. <laughs> it was this in Salt Lake or was it in um, like uh, one of the smaller towns? The smaller towns is called Fillmore. Okay. Uh, so I don't remember it at all. I was probably about two, two and a half, three years old when we arrived there. Okay. Uh, but after, so they worked for the Dole Mushroom Factory. That's, you know, these Dole? big corporations yeah. mushroom. a lot of the refugees. Yep, yeah. So Working in those big, those, yeah, just. Massive, yeah. Yeah. They, they spent a couple years, a few years in Utah, and then eventually moved west to California, where it was a lot warmer. Okay. And, and what, and what did they, what, what did they do to move over? Were they in some kind of. Did they have my, other family connections or? Yeah, so my fam my cousins, my aunt, my uncles, they they started moving out to the U.S. to um, Los Angeles first. Okay, and that's that's how my parents, you know, followed after them, and they're very. I come from a very like entrepreneurial. I call it hustling family. Mm. Like everyone, my aunt, my uncles. So they started a um, a clothing factory in in long beach california oh wow okay so they were sewing uh garments uh-huh and so my my mom my parents then went to go work for them okay and then eventually from there my dad worked uh went into um like a baking job for a donut shop nice and trade there and you know how it is an immigrant community <laughs> like one like uh like like the Koreans with their nail shops. Yeah, yeah. Cambodians with the yeah, with the the pink the donut shops, shops. right? <laughs> yeah. So what happened is one one family would start in a donut shop, donut shop, hire other Cambodians, and eventually they then the the baker would then go open a donut shop, and then that's how that's how it starts, right? Right. So how, so so my dad eventually um, works as a baker for a while, and then my both my parents, like I said, are very entrepreneurial. Thought you know let's save our money and try to open our own shop. So they eventually opened a donut shop in El Segundo, California, which wow. is right near LAX. Okay. So, so it's a little smaller town probably didn't have a bunch of like competing donut shops or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So we, they opened, like, they basically bought it off another <laughs> Cambodian family right. who was ready to move on to bigger and better things. Um, but in this community, you know, we came from a community where there was a lot of, Cambodian immigrant like you know a Cambodian community to now um a city where there was we were the only Asians there right right <laughs> <laughs> that was a unique experience but um but 
you know, at nine years old, I was already kind of put to work, you know, helping <laughs> my parents out every weekend, standing on a milk crate to reach the cash register. But it was such for me, I look back, I'm like, wow, what a blessing in disguise to have had that um, upbringing, mm. because I immediately just uh, learned how to communicate with customers, you know, what I, I call it shooting shoot the shit with customers right right <laughs> so you just learn how to every day have a conversation with them I learned how to uh be um super resourceful you know just being able to move out of beyond my comfort zone all mm -hmm. the time and being the oldest um uh in my family I had to kind of be the the um family translator the person right who, english you know, english wise compared to your parents it was probably a lot easier for you too right yeah, absolutely my parent only spoke bro broken english so mm -hmm. i had to be always the one translating for them setting up phone utilities for them everything so from an early age i just kind of learned how to be uh super resourceful and independent Mm. And I mean, I'm guessing you probably looked at like real estate documents for them and that, that type of stuff as well. That's pretty common in industry. Everything. Yeah. Everything. So it really taught me now to be a competent uh, business person because of that, you know, just being able to um, uh, early on uh, applying for university, applying for um financial you had to do it all yourself like whereas exactly. for, for for me at least it was like okay my parents are like kind of like making sure yeah. i get that taken care of oh, right i did mine yeah. by myself too <laughs> did my FAFSA by yeah. myself yeah, yeah. <laughs> even you could relate you could relate so you know sometimes you could look back and like so i sometimes i, I tell people i never truly had a childhood because i was forced to mm. kind of grow up really early but you can look at it in two ways. You can look at it as a victim point of view, or you can look at it from a perspective of like, wow, what an amazing opportunity I had to to have that kind of upbringing so that now I'm such a, a well-rounded, more self-sufficient, resourceful person. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I would say it's a blessing. It's like being thrown in the fire early. Like you learn all these things. You have to adapt. You figure things out. And I mean, honestly, we get such a head start in our adulthood and maybe a little bit of trauma too, but <laughs> no. okay. So you, yeah, you you're sure. running the, you're helping your family run the donut shop. What, what was the next step? Like going to college? What, what did you decide to do after that? Yes. Yeah, so I went to college and um, in college, I always knew that I wanted to, to eventually like run a business because I saw the opportunity that I gave my parents coming mm. from absolutely nothing. I knew that all I needed was hard work, determination, and a positive attitude, right? Mm. And uh, and because I was never, I'm not your typical Asian who's like super smart and like intelligent, you know what I mean? You you weren't I like, was, I'm going to be a doctor and an attorney no, engineer no. when I grow up. You I knew like, I was never going to be a doctor, an engineer, a lawyer, any of that path. But I knew I had like really, like I had drive and I had determination and I had hard work. And mm. I knew that having those three things in business would, would take me far. So I majored in business in college um, uh, and then I went for I went away to Hong Kong um, as an exchange student for one year. And that's really where oh, my nice. love for real estate came in. Interesting. Because what year there, was this? What year was this that you were in Hong Kong? 
Um, my junior year in college. So my uh, the last, the second to last year. And what? Sorry, what calendar? What what year was that? Third year. Or, I mean, in, in time. In, oh, in in time, two thousand four ish. Oh, two thousand four. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what yeah. was the, do you remember what your rent was in Hong Kong then? Because the Hong Kong real estate market is just nuts, right? Yeah, it is. But well, I didn't. So when I went out there, I was still in university. Okay. And what my love for real was seeing those skyscrapers. Oh, okay. That's what did it. Yeah. That's what like, I was like, wow, I want to be the, the, the person who has an involvement in putting these massive, massive buildings up. So when I came oh, back, okay. to, I got it. Yeah, when I came back to university, I was like, I want to get into real estate mm. when I finish university. So finished university, um, uh, right away went into working for a real estate office as just an admin person mm. and really uh, residential real estate sales, you know, dabbled in that and dabbled in that a bit. And what I learned, I was only about 20, er, my early 20s. And what I learned was I didn't have, I was too young. I didn't have, I couldn't convince buyers and sellers to trust me with their properties, basically. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I got my, like, um, so my sales, I realized my sales career was um, basically short-lived because of that. And really what I wanted to do was be in property development. That was really the goal. I only, I just went into sales to get myself in the industry. Right. What I wanted to be was like in development to develop these major, these massive, you know, buildings. Hmm. So from a couple of years in real, in a real estate office, and then moved on to a real estate development job working for an affordable development company. So oh, they wow. were, doing, yep. They were in a, in a Agora Hills, which is um, about an hour North of Los Angeles. And this was like a, this was an affordable housing developer that just did local stuff or did they do more nationwide? Local stuff in California and a couple, I, they had a couple projects nationally, but only mm. when I was there, mostly in California. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So they did, they got, you know, um, the affordable housing grant and they built brand new buildings, lots of them. And that was an amazing experience. But then I kept, so I was there for a few years, a couple of years. But I yearned for that. And we were basically in the suburbs, you know, it was like very, um, the the vibe wasn't that fast pace. You still uh, wanted to build sky, skyscrapers. I still wanted to build a freaking high rise. So then I moved to a company called J.H. Snyder, which mm. is a bigger developer in Los Angeles. And they did a lot more commercial properties, shopping centers, commercial uh, properties, condos, you know, totally what I envisioned being in uh, Miracle Mile, which is like a very hustle and bustle of Los Angeles with like, mm -hmm. like the Oprah, um, Oprah and studio was across the road, like uh, SAG, you know, uh, was upstairs from us. Wow. I had an office that overlooked the Hollywood sign. Dude. Like a, It was, it was, <laughs> it was amazing. And there I was able to finally work on my high-rise building. I was there for about three years. Uh, and, and the only reason why I left that company was to move to Australia because I met my husband like my mm. third year I was there. Um, but before I left for Australia, I basically got them a certificate of occupancy for a 27-level condo 
So I kind of, yep, I ticked that. Got, so cross that I, off I the bucket list. Manage, I helped project manage that 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 building mm. uh, from entitlement all the way to certificate of occupancy. You know, so that was so. Now every time I drive by that high rise, I'm like, I help put that up, and it's such <laughs> a yeah, accomplishing thing. Did uh, that experience like feel like it accomplished your dream? Was it like exactly what you expected, or was it harder, tougher? No, it was. It wasn't. It was what it told me was whatever I put my mind to, I could accomplish. That was literally from my journey to going to Hong Kong to that because Hong Kong was another thing wanting to study in a foreign country. Mm. So all these dreams that I had in my head, I started ticking off. And then mm. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. If I just put my mind to it, visualize it, and basically take little steps towards that direction, it it kind of like unravels. And then I, I, I eventually get there. So that, so that reaffirmed the idea of uh, being able to to have faith in in the dream process, you know yeah, what I mean? Manifest your destiny, right? 100%. 100%. But it, you weren't like, it wasn't like, I have to do this all the whole time. You weren't like, oh, I need to just keep developing more skyscrapers. You built, you got, you got through that process and you're like, oh, I mean, I like doing this, but there's probably maybe more I can do or something else I can do on my own. Yeah, look, I'm, uh, yeah, I, my person, like I'm very goal oriented, but at the same time, I like to also sort of like um, uh, take leap, leap, leaps and, and kind of just see where I land. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like I'm, uh, I'm open to possibilities essentially. So once I tick, that box, you know, coming to Australia, I definitely wanted to to maintain the um, continue being in property development. But I came to Adelaide. So if we, so my husband, I who I met in a West Hollywood bar, is from Adelaide. So okay. if we rewind to the beginning of the story of how my parents were sponsored to come to Australia in yeah, Adelaide. Those were your two yeah. choices. And just randomly exactly. you met somebody from and Adelaide. I met somebody when I was 29 years old that took me back to Adelaide, right? Huh. So and you already I had family there. I can't help but to think that my my it was my destiny to be <laughs> in Adelaide, right? Because now, so coming to Adelaide, um, uh, definitely wanted to pursue a career in property development, but it's such a small, it's a smaller um uh city here in, in australia there's no skyscape so, in adelaide no i mean it's not many not many <laughs> so it was very challenging but i managed to get a, a a job with a small he was um like a small boutique developer who hmm. was also in student accommodation oh interesting so he was yeah so i spent a few years there and really still had that dream of having my own business one day and eventually um uh back in about 2018 was when i realized that um there was a gap in the market here in australia for good marshmallows because when i moved here they what, like where does that come from i mean did yeah. you like oh have you always liked marshmallows or did you just like you no. buying marshmallows to make s'mores for a trip one time after coming back from the u.s and you're like oh in the u.s they have more why is that not here or yeah so so back to being growing up in a uh, entrepreneurial family my mindset was always 
opportunities. How do I look for opportunity? Mm. What's an opportunity? What is lacking in the market? So that's mm. how my mind is wired. So when I bought marshmallows from the supermarket here, there was only one brand and it was just very chalky and not fluffy and and it didn't last for a year or whatever and it still tastes the same yeah puffs or whatever yeah, yeah, you call yeah. it <laughs> and so then i just thought uh i i should just make my own marshmallow i'll just google youtube and see you know see what's out there um and i also like cooking is a hobby for me so i actually love being in the kitchen okay um so it wasn't like a a, a huge you know um, right you entertain uh, and make desserts and stuff exactly so so for my son's first birthday, I decided uh, we live like, so in Adelaide, we live on a 50 acre farm. Absolutely nice. different lifestyle to Los Angeles, which is the reason why I wanted to, to make that move. Um, so we live on a, a, a beautiful property. And so my, my son's birthday is in winter. So I thought I'll do a woodland theme party and then treat my guests to some homemade marshmallows. So I made raspberry marshmallow using like real raspberry puree mm. and um, uh, gourmeting it up basically. And it was delicious and the guests loved it. And then that light bulb moment went <laughs> off in my head and I'm just like, oh my goodness, these marshmallows, they are like, like the ingredient cost is really low. They it's are not sugar, like gelatin, totally sugar, gelatin, um, and whatever flavor that you want to add to it. Um, it was sustainable as in durable like it would la like with the donut shop my parents threw out donuts every, every night. day yeah, yeah. huge, huge so, loss huge loss so then um with the marshmallow long shelf life so much sugar in there as preservative that's long shelf life there's mm -hmm. no baking so there's no like no flour in there to go off no eggs yeah. to go off you know right. what i mean don't have to have the ovens, don't have to have as much electricity. No oven. Yep. Exactly. So it started ticking all the boxes for me. And then the, the biggest thing was I, I was like, you know what? I think this is scalable because you, in food, you have to think of like, is this scalable or not? Can you reproduce this in a mass, you know, production environment? Right. You imagine that those mar marshmallow companies have some ridiculously huge machine, right? That like yeah. pumps them out and cuts them and, and yeah. cuts them. But yeah. it doesn't yeah. seem like you have that, you know, $50,000 yeah. machine. I don't have that. And what I'm with gourmet marshmallow that you make without those, they use these massive extrusion machines, right? Mm. For the, Yeah, it extrudes the, it and um, cuts it or whatever. Yep. Yep. And it's like a one continuous line manufacturing process. So the process that we're making for these gourmet marshmallow, because we're adding so much different flavor to it, we actually have to make it with a large mix, like a mixer, mm -hmm. and then put it into trays to set and then cut and decorate, right? Right. So it's a different process to um, to extrusion machine marshmallows. Mm -hmm. So I almost want to call it its own category. Like, like I'm on a mission to to grow the gourmet marshmallow um uh niche and right it's it almost really it's almost like those candy shops i could see that you could have like a uh, your your factory that's also the display where people are looking through the glass and watching you make it or whatever yeah. you could oh that's that's definitely you could sell them yeah, yeah I, I can see yeah. that 100 yeah yeah interesting um so that that's where you are now i, I mean 
and if and if you get googled you're you made it to costco me just recently yeah. right so so yeah. talk about that deal and what that what that means when you go from yeah actually let's talk about that a little bit how did you get from kids birthday party to like you know selling wholesale yeah. So yeah, I started my journey just at farmer markets and stuff, having a stall selling to just local Adelaide people. And then COVID happens. And I literally, and this is where, where I met you, Jordan, too. So essentially you helped me. Um, in 2020, I went all in on cloud theory and quit my job literally two weeks before COVID hit. <laughs> Jordan helped me get my so what I had a, a property back in in California that I took a uh, equity out of the property to it was small too right I feel like it was less than $50,000 maybe like 30 grand or something like that yeah we did about yeah about I think it's about 50,000 from, okay, 50. 50, yeah. from that property okay. and you literally closed that for me two weeks before COVID hit and when I think back to it I was like <laughs> If we did it after COVID, it wouldn't have happened. The right. people would not have, like, for me being a, um, in another country, and yeah, it wouldn't have ever happened. So when I look back... But to me, like, like, COVID hits, you've got the farmer's market, and suddenly yep. you're like, oh, shit, like, yeah, this is where I, I sell. Yeah. Yep, so, yep. so how did you but figure it was another out? blessing in disguise where it, it propelled me to take the business online. Mm. So now, um, instead of instead of having just the Adelaide market, I am open to Australia nationally. Mm. And what I do is I run Facebook ads to, to market my product because who's going to Google gourmet marshmallow? No one It's a new product. Nobody knows about it. Right. So I have to run ads to really get people to impulse purchase these products that they've never seen before, but it looks so aesthetically pleasing and tasty that they want to try it. Right. So that is how so I you started. Just, you just made it happen with like Facebook ads, word of mouth, yeah. Instagram, word of mouth, Instagram, social. So not, I always say that my, this business only um, could happen in this age of technology. Like if mm. we didn't have social media, gourmet marshmallows would never be a thing. Right. Unless some massive company took, took it on. Yeah. And, you know, I'm curious, I mean, you know, it seems like you had equity in your property. How did you know how much to take? How did you estimate I need $30,000 to start my business? I, oh, I feel like I, I don't remember exactly. I feel like you're like, hey, I've got this like business plan. If you were going to show it to your underwriter. And I was like, eh, like the underwriter, they, they don't want to see, see it. They don't want to see <laughs> it. It's going to make it worse. <laughs> I feel like yeah, you find out. Maybe, maybe I'm misremembering, but yeah. yeah. What was, yeah. How did you figure that part out? We kind of just, um, took out the most that we could take out mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, Jordan. And, and I sort of just thought there was no really strategy behind it. It was just like, I'm going to take out as much money as I could. And for me, it was like a, a calculated risk as in, if I lose the 50, I still have the, like, if I lose 50, it's not impacting my family, like my, my husband and my kids, because it's my property that I've invested in. And then I still have the property, I sell it. Still have the know, property was still breaking even or whatever. Yeah. hundred percent. So it wasn't like I was putting my, my, my personal, you know, uh, investment in or my, my family's, um, uh, in jeopardy with their, with our financial, um, situation. Uh, yeah. So, so, so that then helped me grow cloud theory enough to attract. So that 50 grand really, yeah. Helped me grow cloud theory enough to attract an investor. Mm. Right. So I attracted an investor who then had 
with the investor, um, it was a strategic partnership for me in the fact that um, it was more of what they could could uh, help me with in in relationships to like having a commercial kitchen, mm. um, being able to store, you know, cool rooms and warehousing to store the products mm. and then kind of connection relationships of 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 where can, um, who can I meet and build relationships with to grow Cloud Theory. So I took that more into consideration than say the financial, like how much money is this investor putting into the business? It was more like what their network was bringing you. Yeah, because honestly, if say, if if I took um, the financial part, I would then have to go build, build out a kitchen, which then would take an extra one to two years to really get the business going whereas the, with the investment that I got they had an existing commercial kitchen that I stepped into right away everything set up you you understand what I mean when, when really? yeah so it was more so than just the money out. and equity that they were going to be taking on you wanted the access to their facilities and everything yeah. I was going to ask in terms of like finding an investor because we haven't had a lot of business owners well most of our people have been business owners in terms of real estate but, but more like real estate yeah, yeah but uh with this business obviously when you're attracting an investor how do you kind of figure out how much equity they should take of your business for that is the hard bit when mm. you have a brand that's not established yet and you can't value it except right. based on its potential, yeah. right? There's no, if, if they looked at my books, it would be worth nothing, right? <laughs> so I had to partner with someone who, who understood the potential of the brand and was willing to take a risk on that. Mm. And in exchange for that, I gave up a good, I mean, I'm, I still have majority, but I gave up a good portion because in addition to that, I wanted someone who was going to grow with me no matter what, not just, you get, you get what I'm saying? Like they've got a, as much of a stake in it as I do. Right. Someone that allows you to maybe mul keep multiplying and keep moving yep. it up. Yep. And I wasn't concerned for me because if you think about it, um, you can, you, your business can grow you could get a, an investment uh, or a partnership that can grow you to say, like you have nine, eight, seventy percent of the business, mm -hmm. but you can grow it to five million, mm -hmm. or you can have say uh, fifty percent of the business, but your partner could grow you to a hundred million. You, Which you one's know? Yeah, right. <laughs> I had the faith and confidence that I could grow the business, the brand, with the right with the right partnership. So the money, the percentage didn't matter to me. You get right. what I'm saying? I had faith in myself that I can grow this brand to be a multi-million dollar brand one day. Hmm. So I wanted to know what the, like my, we had to align in our values. We had to align in um, our vision for the future where I had to have someone who truly, truly believed that cloud theory could be a global brand one day. So I had to take all that into consideration and um, so in addition to give, so partnering up with my the, my investor um, is the catalyst to get it to Costco because they had the relationship with a distributor who had an awesome relationship with Costco. Mm. Mind you, I didn't know this going in. I didn't know this going in that, that they, that, that was, that Costco was on the table at all. Mm. It was 
Yeah, at that point, were you already in some of your local grocery stores or? Just a handful, just Mm. a handful of grocery stores. Yep. And what kind of like, so let's say you like, let's say I'm just making jam or something like that. And what kind of volume when you're in a couple of small local grocery stores does do they demand? Because like you have to kind of scale up at a certain speed, right? There's only so many marshmallows you can make by yourself with your small mixer at home and your cutter. Yep. So yeah, what does that kind of volume look like? And then uh, so moving from small grocery store for our from farmers market to small grocery store, how much increase in volume is that? Yeah, I mean, look, it's it wasn't huge. It it was higher, but it was manageable. Because still, you I could still do it at home. But then, but then moving yeah. to Costco, what kind of? Oh yeah. Volume? So there was an interim period between. Um, so so online and. Oh yeah, online. online. I forgot about I was online. Doing, yeah. And farmers market, I was doing from home. Mm-hmm. But then I then transitioned to a uh, cellar door, like a winery cellar door kitchen, because mm-hmm. I have in my area where I live, there's lots of wineries, and because of COVID, they had to shut down their cellar door. So oh, I their space, it, yeah. and that allowed me to scale up uh, to go into the local retail stores, right? Mm-hmm. Like a handful, like seven or eight of them. Okay. And then, that's where the uh, investor came in. And then I moved into a proper production commercial kitchen um, where where there's like, ma- I, don't, I don't know the square footage, but massive cool rooms. Um, uh, and that is why we were able to then go into Costco. And what I've done is I've leapfrogged from re- small retailers straight to a international retailer like right. Costco, mm-hmm. right? But the ease of it is what's great about it is dealing with Costco is actually so much easier than dealing with a whole bunch of small retailers, right? right? Because now you just have one customer that is ordering volumes from you, but it's, it's, it's so streamlined. It's just one. Yeah. How much, how much of your Costco, how much of your business is Costco now compared to all the other stuff that you had set up? Huge. I say now Costco is about 60%. Of <laughs> yeah. Uh, online is about. You've been 30. there for a, just a couple months, right? Yep. Just a couple months. It's a crazy growth, like just, just massive. Um, I think it would be hard for any other kind of product, but our product, like I said, from the beginning is scalable and it it's one of those um products where you don't need like say making other like desserts uh, like sweets such as cupcakes um uh cookies you kind of need someone who's got some experience in in baking whereas with marshmallow it's really step-by-step procedures of what you like if you're just precise with the ingredients you put in and the steps and you just have a little bit of like it's train you can train people quickly to do mm-hmm. it and they don't have to have any kind of um background so at this point you're are you completely out of production now we myself yes yeah. like i i barely I, i'm barely in the kitchen hands-on anymore awesome. i'm i it's so nice like so now i get to just come <laughs> up with the right. i love to come up with the new creations new right. flavors you know but i let my team um, handle everything else so sorry um so yeah no it's nice now because now I get to work on the business instead of in the business mm-hmm. 
And yeah. so a lot of my day-to-day -day activity now is marketing, it's product development, it's, you know, it's just growing the business. Great. And so when you say you're in Costco, is it just in Australia? Oh, no. Yeah. Is it just in Australia? Or At the moment, yeah, there's 16 Costco's here in Australia. So it's manageable, right? Yeah. Our goal is 100% to try to get to the U.S. I would love, I, I just think the U.S. audience would resonate with my, with, with cloud theory so much. Um, and so I'm hoping that we can prove ourselves here at, 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 uh, Australia Costco and hopefully get the opportunity to present. It, I mean, it seems like that they're kind of looking at the sales data, right? So if you have X number, if you sell out of your product X number of months in a row, right at Costco, then that like, at least that's in my limited experience. When I see something happen at one Costco, it'll start migrating to the other Costco's over time. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if your product performs well, they continue, they'll continue um, uh, taking you on. And then, and the thing about Costco is um, sometimes it's very seasonal, like they might take you for only a period of time. Mm. You probably notice that at Costco. Like your s'mores like, package or whatever for the summer. Yeah, it goes crazy for, or for something a period like of time. Yeah. So the beauty of our brand is we do so much design, so many different themes we can get into mm -hmm. that we can continue um, uh, presenting to Costco sort of new ideas, new, new, new flavors, new pack. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, so I'm assuming you do. Oh, sorry. Uh, so I'm assuming you do like seasonal, like Thanksgiving. You do like pumpkin pie flavored, <laughs> and maybe yeah. Christmas yeah. is I don't know, mint or I don't yeah. I don't know what flavors for Christmas are, but gingerbread, peppermint. Uh, yes, gingerbread, that's yeah, the, and that's really what I love most about the brand is the ability for us to just um, continuously create nonstop. You know, uh, and and so once. And for the customer too, is that experience there. If once they buy a product and they really like it, the next time a new theme or flavor comes out, they're more, I would think, you know, they're more um, ready to, excited to, to, to try the next thing. And so it keeps the brand really fresh, I feel like. Totally. Uh, I'm curious, are you uh, potentially interested in opening a brick and mortar store to sell your products like directly like on a street? Yeah, I would. If I do a brick and mortar, it would be purely for marketing because I feel like for I've got PTSD from growing up in a donut shop that was my parents open 24 hours. You don't want to depend on retail. You just no. don't, right? <laughs> exactly. I just know the amount of work that it goes into a brick and mortar, the amount, the time, the commitment that you have to put to that, the being there. So as much as I can, I want to work on the model of um, uh, e-com and 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 kind of wholesale, like retailers having other retailers carry my product because um, I think there's more reach. But the whole the brick and mortar is really for the full experience of cloud theory. Like I, I my yeah, the my, making my process vision. is really beautiful. Like looking at your Instagram page, I can I can just sit oh, there yeah. and watch you cut them. Like it looks so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like this vision that I have in my mind is having like, say, um, uh, like a an awesome uh, store in like the Bellagio or something, right? In Vegas, oh, yeah. where tourists can come and see us make these beautiful, elegant, aesthetically pleasing marshmallow. And it will like, like you said, Jordan, have windows where people can actually see it being made, poured, cut, decorated by hand, you know? And they can select 
the like we would have like 40 different flavors you go up there you just pick a box a dozen you can pick all the different flavors so i'm all like implementing my experience of being in the donut shop mm. of you know we used to do a dozen a baker's dozen donuts that that customers can pick and choose what they want and now kind of using that uh, experience with for cloud theory like you know um so for 100% i definitely want to one day have a brick and mortar but purely for the experience showing people um uh just the the dreaminess of the brand and you know the magicalness <laughs> kind of like a like din tai fung they have that big window where you can see them make all yep. the dumplings yep. totally yep. I so actually have that on my vision board, the uh, yeah. image of, of them. Uh, yeah, I mean, great business, talking about a great business model. Um, so t- tell me about your like kind of employee situation. And you mentioned, I always, whenever someone talks about me, like getting back into the, if I want to get back into the restaurant business and I'm like, only, only if I could do a business where I can train a 14 year old to do the work. Right. So yeah. talk to me about your like employee, how many employees do you have? And like, is that number comp, like, are you having to keep hiring and how, I don't know what the labor market is over there and how easy it is to keep on employees. Yeah. yeah. So we had to basically, uh, well, I have 15 employees now and I literally hired like, like, I think like 10 in the span of like two weeks for Costco. Yeah. But I've just been so fortunate to have hired the right people because for cloud theory, the I I'm for me, I'm trying to build a culture where, everyone understands that our product is all about bringing people joy and delighting them. And I really feel like it starts from the people making the product, right? So I need joyful, positive people with good attitudes to be making these products. Mm. So that was the criteria uh, that I had when taking on um, new employees and and, uh, being really religious about that the fact that they had to have that kind of personality to work here and um i i feel like we've been successful at doing that so far and another thing is um a majority of my like a big um uh group of my employees are from their students from south america here learning you know learning english Yep. And Australia has a large international student um, population here. Like the, uh, they're one of their largest export is education. Really? So not, e- not just in like the bigger cities, it's also in s- the medium and smaller sized towns. Yeah. There's- Cause what yeah. happened is like places like the smaller regional places like Adelaide, they're incentivized to be here so that they can help um, uh, the economy, you know, grow, grow the, the uh, employment market and, and so they actually have a better chance of of getting a visa if they come to the more smaller places. Interesting. You know yeah. So them, I've just been really lucky because a lot of them are very um, uh, like super educated and like like they they've gone to university to learn production management, engineering, but they come to Australia and it's so it's they've got to take like 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 just more like restaurant jobs, production jobs, you know what I mean? Right. So I've kind of got the, um, this, like the skill set of people who are just super intelligent 
but they're but they're willing to um to kind of get a step in the door with working in production like in a production environment like mine mm-hmm. and for me i hope that i'm i i don't expect them to be with me forever but i appreciate the time that they spend with me um and I, what i want to do for them in exchange is to really help grow them mm. in their personal development side so that they can eventually go out there to the australian market and get themselves really good jobs you know i i always found that that was when i worked in the <clears throat> in the food industry and hospitality i always found that like growth and um you know like moving up was just really verticality was really hard to find in that world how do you how do you implement that into a workplace and make a kind of like fun work culture that that intelligent people that are hard workers are interested in when it's like i mean a lot of the jobs are just you know pouring sugar mixing and like production based how do you how do you add that verticality element well what i've done right now is i've um anyone who came in with a more advanced um say background degree I am look watching them to see what they're good at cuz mm. one of some of them could be great at marketing some of them could be great at graphic design some mm. of them could be great at facebook ads but I don't know that because they've come in for a job in the kitchen right right but I'm as I get to know them better I'm learning wow they they've got skills that are beyond just being in the kitchen mm. and when I recognize it I give them an opportunity oh. uh to try like to try something like uh for example one of the girls who i hired for fulfillment um you know pick, picking and packing orders yep i learned that she was um her background was uh in in production and um and she knew how to do graphic design and so i gave her a few projects and now she has moved on to become my full-time graphic designer interesting so you for those instead of like hiring out like your your logo design and and other, all those that stuff you just hire among your current talent yep yep because what i'm doing is i realize that the 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 people who are applying for my kitchen position actually have way higher level of expertise than what they're you know what they they apply for but they're applying for these jobs because of their limited english so they can't really go get a marketing job anywhere else mm. right so i'm capitalizing on the, op- the 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 just looking at their skill set and talent and then now giving them an opportunity so as long as they can show me that they've got other skills so they can start in the kitchen but if they can show me that they've got other skills i am happy to give them a chance because right now we're growing so much that there's so many positions available in the upper sort of um uh uh skill set positions yeah and i was going to say too in terms of building good company culture like sometimes it's important to know what it, how it is to start at the very bottom and to move up mm-hmm. because you know what it takes to do those roles and when they become managers they'll obviously you know they'll have that connect between being a manager and managing these people and remembering what that role entails absolutely absolutely just like um uh Viviana, who I just met, talked about, she, because she started in fulfillment. Now she, in addition to helping me with graphic design, she's she's working out my production process, mm. giving us more um, a structure. And 
because she's been in the role of fulfilling orders from the ground up, she knows exactly what is required. So you're right, Stephen. Definitely. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the way they have the CEO sometimes I like, I don't know, some of these fast food chains go and, you know, well, uh, work the drive through oh, window. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. yeah, yeah. It's just so if you hire someone who's so disconnected from the actual day to day of the business, it's not the same. You just you, you definitely need to find someone who who's been there, but then has the intelligence and skill set level to move up. Yeah, no, I love it. And I mean, I'm excited to see where the company goes from here. I mean, do you have a five year game plan? Yeah, besides getting into every Costco in the US, in addition to Australia, what what else is on the uh, the five year plan? Yeah, well, in addition to um, having consumer goods, we want to branch like ready made consumer goods, we want to branch out to um, mixes and kits. That's really my next oh. step. And what I'm super That's even easier about. to ship, right? Yeah, <laughs> Here's really, ingredients. yeah easier <laughs> to ship. And the, the the number one reason is I want to share yeah, bread the, yeah. the satisfaction of making marshmallows, and mm. I really want to make it be, make it become a mainstream hobby that people start doing at home, right? Mm. And I really feel that people are just not they think that it's so. When people think of marshmallow, they have no idea even where to begin on how to make it. And I want to make it so easy and accessible that anyone would give it a go. And I would have kits that if you see the different designs on my website, I want to give the people at home the opportunity to make the same thing for like their kid's birthday party and feel the joy and satisfaction of producing something so magical and you can eat it. And there's just so many things about it that... It seems kid friendly too, right? Like you don't, you're not going to risk burning yourself, right? It's pretty much dump the ingredients in a mixer and... and... Like it ticks all the boxes of, you know, fun family activity, giving the... the, And what I've learned about my product is people always think that it's for children, like marshmallows, but my target audience is, I'm targeting the inner child and adults, Right. I'm wanting to bring out that inner child in them. And so I find that my audience are mostly, um, you know, adult women between the ages of like <laughs> 24 to to 40. That's like my my sweet spot right there. I mean, I saw that little s'more kit. And I was like, hey, Stephen, come over here. Because <laughs> I, I saw that little like $8 s'more kit oh, that you were advertising. Shit. And it's like, dude, that looks like a Dunkaroo except for that's what s'mores. I did with the, like, the s'mores kit. Like, uh, so I love innovating. I love yeah. creating. So like with the, my, I thought, okay, instead of getting a piece of chocolate, I'm just going to dip the marshmallow in chocolate already. So then when you roast it, you don't have, you know how, when you it's make always, you're always fumbling around and dropping the chocolate on the ground. Yes. And, and my the, kids so are the chocolate never melts. Yeah. And the chocolate right? doesn't, exactly. Now you roast it all on the marshmallow. The chocolate's on the marshmallow already. You put it between the biscuit. It's such a more simple process. So, and then in addition to that, I, I had my toasting sticks. So my goal in five years is to become, dominate the global market, become the gourmet marshmallow brand that everyone talks about with a range of product that that go that from toasting sticks to uh, a marshmallow cutter to trays to sprinkles, everything mm. that you, someone would need to make beautiful marshmallows. 
<laughs> yeah, I saw that marshmallow kit. So how does that part work for like the manufacturing? Do you just like get some company that will build that for you and then you just put your branding on it or? Yeah, so there's multiple ways we can do it. We can either source individually all the components in the kit and then put it together ourselves hmm. or we can manufacture, we can actually hire, you know, just, just, contract a manufacturer overseas to to do it mm -hmm. right now it's uh we're caught we're doing the costings we're 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 um we're going through and weighing the two options out and seeing which one uh works um to be able to to scale like how do we how do what's the best way to get the product out worldwide not just in australia and with that the kit side we're able to do that whereas with the consumable product it's a lot harder mm. um the logistics of you know trying to ship a fresh product is a lot harder yeah if you want to if you want to sell to u.s costco do you have to have a um a fact like a manufacturing yeah, place here in the US, basically yeah if, if costco gave us go we would set up shop in the u.s and and produce from there there's just no Australia is just not um, viable to produce it from here, ship it like, yeah, it's just not viable. Makes sense. But I know that it's, if I could do it here, I could do it over there. <laughs> For sure. <You> know I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, so switching gears here, let's, let's go back to real estate. So you bought that condo um, back in, in the day and you leveraged that. Do you have other real estate holdings in the U.S. or is it? Just Australia. No, not at not at the moment, but I like one one kind of regret I had is so we bought that property in Fresno during the GFC when the whole when remember all the banks were foreclosing mm -hmm. and selling property super cheap. My parents had said to me, buy up three or four, because they were literally going for like 60 grand to 80 grand each for <laughs> a like three-bedroom house. It was crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. But I was afraid of managing all those properties from overseas. Mm. I just felt like I couldn't handle it. But now looking back, should have done it. <laughs> so now I haven't just because um, all my time and effort has gone yeah. into cloud theory. But 100%, I will, the moment I start um, being able to invest, property will always be my number one investment vehicle i've just you know i i'm kind of old school i don't know about you steven but having that um, asian parents are not into the stock market they want a tangible they want something no tangible. Asset. Yeah. oh yeah asset. no i i love my real estate too i, I got my <laughs> portfolio so i yeah totally yeah get it. and then but the ultimate dream is to go full circle to doing development one day to hmm. going back to once i you know Cause I, I still love, I still love the, um, like property market. I, I, for me, it's all about, it's, it's having that, um, you know, building something that will, will just like the brand for cloud there, building something that will outlast me. Oh, I yeah. could be gone, but that say building that shopping center that will still be there, you know? Um, You're going to go from uh, developing a skyscraper to owning the skyscraper. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> One day. <laughs> so if someone else that was listening to this podcast was like, you know, interested in starting a business of their own, what what would you like recommend in terms of like getting started in that, in that, in that realm? Yeah. 
I definitely think one, you must find something you're you're passionate about because burnout is real. And if you're only doing something for the money, it's going to wear wear out so quickly and you you just won't have the stamina to stay in it. Because for me, I'm so passionate about the product. I am willing to wake up at 3.30 in the morning. I'm willing to sacrifice not watching Netflix. I'm willing to do weekends. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So one, if you go into business, find a product or a business that you're truly passionate about. Two, continue growing yourself. You need to listen to business podcasts, read books, uh, just self-development is everything. And for me, business is a vehicle for self-mastery. It forces me to become better every day. And that's why I love it so much. So if you're a person who loves growing and challenging yourself, yeah, go into business. Um, Three, have a positive mindset. You need to continuously um, believe in yourself, have faith, and just take little actions to get you there. And I always think that I believe that your the the um, size of your success or how how successful you can become is really contingent upon how uncomfortable you're willing to get. The more uncomfortable you're willing to get, the more success to be had. So always don't be afraid to be uh, outside of your comfort zone because that's really the 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 way you grow. You just have to keep inching out of your comfort zone. <laughs> yeah, that's why we do this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. And if people are looking to get a hold of you or, you know, learn more about cloud theory, how could they uh, find you? Yeah. So um, you can visit our website, which is cloudtheory.com.au for the full experience. But then we also, we have cloudtheorymarshmallows.com for the U.S. Um, and then you can email us at hello at cloudtheory.com.au. And uh, um your Instagram I'll, page. We'll link your Instagram, Instagram page. Absolutely. Social. Can't forget about that. <laughs> Instagram, um, Facebook, TikTok a little bit. And then we're <laughs> def- speaking about getting out of your comfort zone. My next step is also starting a YouTube channel. Mm. So with the kit to be able to basically have a channel that teaches people all things marshmallows so that mm. they too can, can experience things we're doing here at Call Theory. I love that. I love it. Well, thanks so much, May. We really appreciate your time and we're looking forward to seeing you at our local Costco. No worries at all. I hope to be there soon too. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Realized Gains podcast. If you have any questions for our co-hosts or guests, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com.